Hello and welcome to today's True North Nutrition Podcast episode. I'm super excited to bring you this episode. I'm always excited, but this one has a really special place in my heart. We're talking about functional fitness and CrossFit programming and how to make sure that it is doing the job for you. Doing the job meaning you're going to perform at your highest, you're going to look your best. I started doing this one with the intent of making this one episode, but as you can tell looking at the episode length, it's one it's a longer episode and it's only part one. So I'm definitely going to come back with a second part. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the actual breakdown of what a workout can and should look like so you can get the most out of your training. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as it's full of passion, but more importantly, it's full of facts that are gonna get you into the best shape of your life. Enjoy. Today, we are gonna talk about the essential components of functional training. So what you're gonna get out of today is an understanding of the movements you should be seeing each week in your CrossFit training regimen, or if you're following more of a functional fitness type regimen at home, that sort of thing. But you're gonna get the most out of every training session and every training phase that you go through by making sure that you're paying attention to these components of your functional training. So um, that said, the reason I'm going over this and that actually kind of came up more is because so many more people are training at home and of course there's been this movement towards more functional training and it makes sense right like you want to be better at life and especially for people for you listening to this podcast who comes from some sort of athletic background you're inspired some way athletically maybe you're a college athlete like me maybe you were just always athletically inclined and or maybe you weren't an athlete before and now you're growing up and you're realizing, hey, I really fucking like this athlete thing. It's so cool to be capable and strong. So it's really important to know that the training that you're doing is gonna be effective. So let's break it down into a couple of different components. I always find that the best way to understand a, a bigger topic is to break it down into smaller, more digestible topics, no pun intended there. We will touch on nutrition a little bit, but. Today's episode is mostly about training components. So at its surface, when you're looking at functional training, you want to become basically better at being human, right? I'm probably stealing a bunch of CrossFit things throughout this, and that's fine. I'm a CrossFit coach, and I do think that the methodology is really, really impressive and helps people make amazing results from their fitness. So what do we need out of out of CrossFit workouts, out of functional training. We wanna make sure that these five components are included on a weekly basis. Number one, push. Number two, a pull. Number three, hip or hip hinge. Number four, knee. And then number five, core. Hey, on the surface, you might hear those. Uh, Some of you might just be like, what the hell does that mean? And we're definitely gonna dive into that but those are gonna be the five components that you wanna get, like five types of movements that you wanna have through your exercise routine. And it's really important to have each of those to include a more of a balance. Now, diving into a little bit more of the specifics, so like, again, providing framework for each of these, I want you to get two of each of those in your your weekly, weekly sessions, okay? One of them should be heavy. So let's think about like a really minimalist training program. 
It's going to be three times a week, and you should get a heavy lift of a push-pull, hip, knee, and core. And when you get at least one heavy, then you can have another set, another, uh, you know, like group of workouts where you're doing that exor- that type of exercise at a, at a lower load, but maybe it's more reps. And this is where you're going to start to differentiate between training for strength or training for hypertrophy, specifically muscle building, right? So you want to uh, have about two training sessions like dedicated to those five movements. So now we kind of have it broken down. We gotta get to 10, uh, basically, I don't wanna say sets, but like sessions of those specific things. So like sets is gonna be like, okay, are you doing five by five? That's five sets, right? But your first session might be five by five, and then it might be three by 12, okay? So that's gonna get you to about eight sets over the entire week, which is a pretty good place to be uh, for a minimalist training program. So what do we have now? We have push, pull, hip, knee, core. You wanna be hitting those, those movement patterns, there's a better way, movement patterns two times each week, one of them being heavy, and overall about three heavy days throughout the week, okay? If you can't get this perfectly down to one week, I would say that you could extend this to about 10 days. That would be like the furthest you want to extend it in terms of like the heavy. That way you can hit each of them maybe a little bit more accurately. But that that breaks down into a little bit more specifically programming design. I just want to make sure that you understand the components. And then you want to have one complete rest day each week. I'm going to recommend two to three for most people, even if you want to look super jacked you want to be super functional you want to be you know like you want to live that lifestyle athlete life still like two rest days not a big deal one complete rest day maybe another one you're just more active you're swimming uh, an easy hike that sort of thing so those are like that's like the bare bones essentials of it but i want to give you more than that i want to dive into each one of those training components those movement patterns and uh, kind of where the importance is in terms of functionality and what you can expect with a solid program or solid programming from your CrossFit gym, from your functional training online, uh, or what you can expect from my specific programming. Now, a couple of things just to share you in terms of what I value with training is first off, personally, I like lifting heavy. It's really helpful in terms of not only like the functionality of it and being stronger because you really like there's really not a time where like being strong is something that's not good for you now there is something you, you want to consider size in terms of functionality but that's not going to be a huge issue for many of us it's just that there's never a bad time to be strong is what it boils down to so i like including that's why I have those three heavy days in there. And that's why I like including really specific lifts to that. Now on the other side of that, I'm going to include strength, strength through calisthenics or body weight movements or gymnastic movements, because there is just something incredibly valuable about moving your own body and manipulating your own body through space. After you address both of those, there's a hundred different ways to do them uh, in terms of like, a heavy or an accessory or an isolation or a metabolic uh, like framework. So we'll we'll go over that as well throughout this episode. Uh, but 
mostly I want you to understand out of this and what the movements you should be doing for those push pull hip knee core movement patterns. So in terms of push, we're looking at for the heavy. So this is something you want to be doing at least once a week is either bench press or overhead press or, or both. Okay. Uh, crossfitters, you understand that overhead press is a strict press. Okay. It's really like, it's really important to use those heavy, we'll call compound lifts. And they're compound because it's the heaviest movement that you can do with your body for that movement pattern. So for example, there's not, there's not a push movement out there that goes heavier than a bench press. Overhead press or strict press is secondary because you can't quite lift as much. It does use your entire body and you're not using a bench. So it's just, it's just your body. And so for that, it's super valuable. And I like overhead press or strict press uh, to, to overload. Now, maybe I could have been a little bit off and correcting myself now, but bench press being a compound movement, it's a little bit different than like a push jerk, which you could, I mean, for me, I definitely push or split jerk way more than I can bench press. And that's possible too. But we're talking about like direct time under tension. Your bench press is going to take longer. A split jerk takes a half a second. It's very, very short, quick, and explosive. And so it's a kind of a different type of movement that's going to develop a little bit less in terms of strength. And that's more like power or explosiveness. So for push, we have bench press and strict press. Those are going to be your heavy movements. Now in the calisthenics, the body weight, gymnastics, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call it body weight movements. We have pushups, dips, and handstand pushups. And from a level of functionality, you always want to focus on pushups first. I love it when, um, especially when I'm working with, you know, it's really common for my female clients to come in, not quite have pushups yet, and then work on pushups and get that. It's just such a, it's so empowering. And once you're able to do that, it just increases your confidence in the gym. And it's also like when you do a good pushup, people know, like people look at you and like, it's just so accessible. It's literally like, I mean, just think back to quarantine, right? What was the one movement you probably did more than anything else? And it's going to be pushups. Okay. People, air squats, super common, burpees, common, but pushups. So people you know, did a shitload of pushups. You listening to this probably did a shitload of pushups. It's, it's something that you really need to be good at. Uh, and it's just like one of those landmarks, one of those checkpoints in terms of fitness of being good at doing pushups. And it's also what I would call like a prerequisite into higher level body weight movements. So you definitely want to have those down. And then we have dips. I, I do like dips because like pushups, they're super modifiable, but they hit a little bit more of the tricep focus. And you, like you can do dips anywhere. All you do got, all you got to do is pull yourself up to a couch, pull yourself up to an ottoman, a countertop, a, a chair, and you can do yourself some dips with your feet on the ground. Now doing them onto some rings, that's going to get a little bit more complex, but dips are important. I would say push-ups are definitely more functional. Dips are a little bit more uh, of a fun movement you can incorporate for a specific tricep isolation. Then handstand push-ups is going to be on the higher level of like specialty, probably a lot less functional than the others. It's more of a, uh, an ego, <laughs> ego booster movement. And you know, that's, that's okay too. You can get those. But the thing about handstand pushups is being able to do them effective, 
kind of like push-ups is just a proof of moving your body really, really well. Again, why I'm, I like to focus on body weight movements in programming. Then you have push press, push jerks or split jerks and muscle ups. And those again are more that like tip of the pyramid, least important in terms of building strength. And the, the reason that they're included in functional fitness is because you have to, you have to coordinate hip extension with, with a pressing motion. So they do have their place, but it's, it's something that in, in CrossFit, it's not going to be something that I would build a program entirely around unless you have a really specific need. So it's going to be someone who trains Olympic lifting most of the time and maybe they're doing CrossFit in the off season or someone who just really wants to get a lot of weight overhead. So that's going to be more goal specific. And you're always going to have that within these. So what I'm covering is what everyone should be doing. And then there's going to be some of those dynamic movements, some of those, or, or like you want a bigger chest. Like I know a lot of guys, they don't get to bench press as much in CrossFit. So a lot of guys are gonna to wanna to add that bench press on Saturdays or once a week to try and get, you know, not only have that chest nice and puffed up, but it's an ego lift. And when you do well at it, it feels good. And there's no shame in that type of, you know, like people will look at that sometimes as like a vanity or I even have like, you know, guys kind of ashamedly tell me they wanna bench more. Well, guess what? That's totally cool. And we're gonna to get to more on that because it tends to be a little bit different for ladies. Again, those aren't hard and fast rules, just tendencies that I notice. And um, you, you should be doing what you like and you should be working on the muscles that you want to, to grow as well. But you're also gonna have those skills in there like handstand push-ups, push press, and push jerks. So now we move into the pull category. This is honestly, personally my favorite. Within the CrossFit community, there's a ton of vertical pulling. So we end up with a huge, uh, middle, yeah, like middle backs. And what, what I mean by that is like you're, you're crushing pull-ups or kipping pull-ups, tons of volume there and just like pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. Okay. And it's super important and it's fucking empowering. Kind of like the push up. I love the pull-up. It's just, it's an incredible movement when you have it down and you have it mastered. You can tell someone who does a sexy pull-up works fucking hard. And there's something to be said about that. But Let's get back into that heavy portion first. Pull-ups can definitely fall under that category because you can add weight and you should add weight. Because if you're just knocking out and you're like, you can do 20 or more pull-ups, all right, you gotta, you gotta change the challenge up a little bit. Side note, if you don't follow him already, Michael Eckert fit on Instagram. There might be a period in there somewhere, but he is a, I believe he's a, a current Marine, but dude is amazing at pull-ups and makes a ton of cool content check that out and he gives a lot of cool pull-up tips okay but that said you can see what all the different ways you can manipulate pull-ups as well from a heavy standpoint we're looking at bent over rows so that is one way to get a really really heavy pull or a heavy row and especially in the horizontal plane so like i said that middle back it gets tested a lot by the pull-ups, but you're also using a lot of arms with pull-ups. And sometimes it's not as easy to differentiate the muscles you're using. And when you're, you know, like if you're doing correct pull-ups, it's gonna work, okay? So again, just a, an emphasis on how form is important there for not only building muscular muscu musculature and also skill. The bent over row is a great one. It's a great way to overload 
your or to load up your lats, your rhomboids, again your middle back, but some of the like the actual parts of your back that are gonna look big and like it sounds goofy, but like for me, uh, the my front side I've always been like a little bit more self conscious in terms of abs, but like I got some freaking back abs that I'm pumped up about, and a lot of CrossFitters do get that. Like you actually watch like CrossFit Games athletes, and they have like these this sick nasty like back six pack it's awesome but um, it's just kind of a funny note but the actual best way to overload your pull or to load up as heavy as possible is going to be some sort of prone row or chest supported row now the reason that you see this a lot less in functional training is because it's honestly just a bitch to set up like you need two boxes you need a bench then you have your barbell set up it's just kind of goofy but it is the best way to get a heavy load into a pull. So I do suggest trying to incorporate that in there. And in a lot of those like functional bodybuilding type of programs, and I know that I included in my programs as long as the athletes have the equipment, is that we're gonna do some heavy prone rows or chest supported rows. And it's really just a great way to add to those wings on the side and just give yourself a nice strong back filling out your shirt the way that you want to, right? And so for so for guys, a lot of times it's trying to add that V shape, and then uh, you know for ladies, it's, it's about having that like solid foundation around the core, but also really strong looking shoulders. Again, I don't mean to just categorize that; it's just tendencies, common uh, common desires that I I notice from my clients and athletes. So we have prone or chest supported row, bent over row, and pull ups. You could also include chin-ups in there, but pull-ups are going to be a little bit more lat involved, and that's why we keep them in there. So in terms of like secondary movements, accessory movements, or other things that are going to help just develop the composition or quality of your movements, we have inverted rows, which a lot of times in like a functional training environment, CrossFit gym, you're going to throw a barbell into a rack at about belly button height, and then you're going to go underneath it and pull yourself up to it, kind of like a ring row. And I really, really like these but you have to do them with high quality. So if you don't have pull-ups yet, this is the best way to practice and get pull-ups. You can also put that pull-up bar higher and, or that, that barbell higher in the rack and just practice like toe-supported pull-ups. I put my videos out on YouTube that show this, so you can check it out, it's linked in the description. And just look for rows and, and, and pull-ups in that YouTube playlist and you'll find exactly how I show you to get better at pull-ups. Then we have the torso rows and pen lay rows. So like torso rows are gonna be more of that composition, like added volume type thing. So that's gonna be like, you really want some big wings on your sides, you're gonna do some torso rows. It's also, it is quite functional, right? It, it is literally just like starting a lawnmower. So um, it's, it's just a great functional movement. Then you have pen lay rows. This is gonna be more of your explosive movement, but I have to tell you, I absolutely love pen lay rows. So, it's a great way, super um, easy setup. You can use other implements, but like with a barbell, it's super easy because you're just hinging, your back is flatter in this one, but it's an explosive pull. And I can tell you, I've never felt my lats light up like a pen lay row. So what I would do is like, making sure that you're doing an explosive movement like that, and then follow it up with a time under tension movement. Now, what you might not have heard or what you didn't hear on that pull list is some sort of like horizontal cable row. And that's because it's honestly just not something common in a CrossFit or functional environment. I love it. That is literally, that's one of my top, 
I don't know. I keep saying I love pulls, but the, the cable row, the horizontal row is amazing if you have access to it. So I would definitely include that. It's just not something that's commonly accessible. So do keep that in mind if you're able to do it. Uh, all variations, close grip, wide grip, um, single arm, going heavy, going metabolic. These are all really, really cool things you can do with that. And the reason why I like the cable row is because it, it removes like the focus on body position so much. So it's kind of like bench press to strict press. With a bench press, you're laying on a bench and you're kind of in a fixed position. With the strict press, you have to focus on your position. That's the same thing with like doing a horizontal row or a, a cable row versus a you know prone row or a bent over row. Like some of those other positions require a little bit more stability and like cognizance as you're doing it. That that sort of like neuromuscular awareness, and then the the cable row is is a great way to just overload. So um, those are your push and your pull hip and like hinge movements this is going to be the, what's going to fall under this is obviously deadlift and then rdls and thrusts or bridges so i would say the most under i would say deadlifts are probably overutilized in the crossfit space and rdls romanian deadlifts and thrusts are underutilized now the reason that is is because deadlifts are just so damn functional like that is that is like the functional movement and that's why the crossfit total is deadlift uh overhead press restrict press and back squat they're just functional as shit okay and there's no defeating that so with respect to functionality deadlift is literally the most functional and it's really hard to argue because it's you can't do a heavier lift so with it you definitely want to include deadlifts in your programming but in terms of like hypertrophy and muscle building you're going to get a little bit more out of the romanian deadlifts so like it and i even say that with a grain of salt because you do need to get that absolute maximal output with like a heavy deadlift that can help increase the potency of muscle growth but if you supplement it additionally with something like an RDL that's a little bit more hamstring posterior chain and glute down that's like you're really isolating in on those, uh, that can be super, super helpful in terms of the potency of your muscle growth. Now, hip thrusts are like the single greatest glute developer. There's no getting around it. It might be the least functional in terms of like a hip hinge type movement, but you can set it up with literally just a bench or even just a wall ball med ball and a barbell so it is still pretty accessible if you have a machine with like a belt and or even just like the little uh brett Contreras glute boxes or whatever the hell he calls them but those are really helpful that said you want to grow a booty you want to do hip thrusts I'm not just talking to ladies here guys too anyone who wants a butt fill out some pants so you're not a no buns bobby my wife loves that. She just thinks it's the funniest damn thing because that movie, Just Go With It, freaking No Buns Bobby, and then he's out on the dance floor with some some rad cheeks. He was probably doing some hip thrusts after he got that, uh, that surgery. But anyway, you want to make sure that you are doing some hip thrusts to work on your glutes, and it's just a great muscle developer. So the thing you just have to get over is, it's honestly, it's just a, kind of an uncomfortable movement, but the payoff is pretty huge. 
So supplementing that. So we want to see that this this those deadlifts. That's probably what you're going to see about once a week, maybe every 10 days or so is getting a heavy deadlift because it's so demanding on your nervous system and all of your muscles. So RDLs are a good way to deadlift for like a second time in the week because you just can't load it up. And the difference there is that like a Romanian deadlift, you're looking for a lot more tension where deadlift is, yes, you can get tension in it. Like if you do like a library deadlift where you just weight kisses the ground between reps and you're, you're constantly holding on. But if you do that, you're also missing out on some of the strength biased programming and you know, being able to develop a heavier deadlift. So that's where individual programming comes in to really differentiate between what type of deadlift is needed. But RDLs are a great way. If you don't want to do hip thrusts, it's a super accessible way to grow your glutes and hamstrings, which are arguably like some of the most underrated muscle groups because again, kind of like seeing someone do pull-ups or seeing someone do push-ups, you see someone in shorts with some like rocking hamstrings, you're like, oh shit, like that person definitely works out. So th these are great ways to uh, develop that type of musculature. So in terms of supplementation, you're gonna wanna do a lot of single leg work and honestly the list is just way too long. So I'm just gonna go over some of my favorites and why. But single leg work, you can do step ups. Personally, I love sleds. If you can drag them, if you can push them, it's a great way to remove the eccentric portion of the workout so uh, that you're not developing just entirely muscle soreness, but you can, you can grow immensely in terms of explosion and also just like you're evening out with that unilateral, that single leg work and it's so much work on your core and you can use it for conditioning. The list is really endless there. But in terms of like hinge or posterior, we're talking about like a sled drag. So you're facing forward and you're literally pulling that weight behind you. So you gotta use the back of your legs all the way up your back for that. Um, you can also do belted marches. Those just whoop that ass and really help you get some glute engagement as well. I also like reverse hypers uh, if you have that accessible, but you can also do this on a GHD machine. So definitely check out the YouTube playlist I have linked below because that's in there as well. Back extensions are a great way to work on hip hinge and I, I really like these in terms of like a tempoed time under tension type movement. And that's how you're gonna see a lot of the movements that I'm talking about. The deadlifts and RDLs and thrusts, those are good things you can do a little bit more explosively with some time under tension. And then when you get to like the single leg work, reverse hypers, back extensions, good mornings, those are all things you can add more tempo to and more time under tension with lower loads. And that's gonna help you with your neuromuscular, like your mind muscle awareness, your activation, and then your movement quality on top of that so that you can lift heavier. Now, kettlebell variations are another really great way to add hip hinge, especially in like a cardio capacity. Uh, because personally, I'm, I'm not the type of coach that's going to program a ton of like high volume or high rep deadlifts in a workout. To me, it's just like, that's an ego chat. Like that's just like an ego workout, like workouts like DT, honestly, not my favorite. And it, it's kind of like a cool banging barbells around workout, but it's just, it's not super 
it's not really functional. It really doesn't tell me anything except for that you can hold on to the barbell. And there is some validity in that. So like if you're more on the competitive side of CrossFit, you need to do it. If you're more on the functional side and you just want to be a badass person, like most people listening to this, deadlifts for, for speed and, and uh, volume like that, not going to quite have its place. Now you can use them in terms of density training, but that's going to keep your heart rate a little bit lower. And I'm just not covering that specifically in this, uh, in this podcast, but definitely will look, look to do that in future podcast episodes. So kettlebell variations are instead what I prefer for more of a hip hinge cardio capacity. And the heavier you can go, most people underestimate how much they can do. And again, I'm biased. I I do not like American kettlebell swings personally. That's more of like a, hey, I want to add a, a shoulder torch to some sort of cardio movement. But otherwise, I really like heavy Russian kettlebell swings because it focuses on the hinge, focuses on your posterior chain, and it's a little bit of a quicker movement, so you have to get a pattern down. I just think there's too many ways to cheat and do shitty reps on American kettlebell swings for most people. So that leaves us with knee next, and this is going to be your squats, okay, squats, lunges, uh, that type of thing, and you can include running in here too. Uh, I'll touch on that in a second. So first off, back squat, front squat, heaviest ways that you can possibly squat. So again, those are the things you want to include at, at least once a week in some capacity. And when I say heavy for all of these, that could mean somewhere in the five to 10 rep range. And heavy should feel like nine out of 10. You should be breathing a little bit heavy after you do that set. It should be hard. It should feel like if you're doing five to 10 reps, it should feel like you could maybe do one, one more rep. If you're at the higher end of that, like 10, maybe you're limited on weights working out at home and you're doing like 10 to 12 reps, you might have like one to two reps left in the tank. But if you do the actual math, if you have one rep left in the tank and you just did five reps, well, that's only 83%. Or, you know, so like if I like to boil down those numbers just for the reality of it, but nine out of 10 is going to be like, yeah, maybe could have done one more rep or maybe could have done like 10 more pounds. I think is a better way to say it. So you do want to be reaching that high level of effort on those back squats and front squats. Personally, I just never found value in doing high volume, like high rep front squats because it's such a challenging position that like the load just pushes you into shitty form too quickly to actually get strength, like more benefits out of it. So you won't catch me doing a whole lot of front squat programs that are more than 10 reps, but usually not more than eight reps even. I did one squat cycle where I did, it was like, I think there was a 10 rep front squat in there. And I'm not gonna lie, my, my back squat skyrocketed after that cycle because uh, that was what I had actually tested at the end of it. But uh, it's not something that I would commonly do. And I was doing a shitload of volume and I was recovering like a boss. So like that's a little bit more individual. Okay? But the front squat and back squat are going to be the two heaviest ways you can overload your knee pattern. I keep saying overload. I got to correct myself. Just like loading. I don't mean to overload that pattern. Just to be clear on that. So with that, uh, I, I do see a lot of 
content going out there on it's really from uneducated minds so if you're coming to this and you're newer to functional fitness you're newer to crossfit you want to squat low you're you know the crossfit standards are going to be hip hip crease below the knee and if you can get lower than that great but you have to work on positioning and a lot of times uh you know i'll see that good morning type of squat from a lot of ladies and for you i'm gonna have like manipulate your squatting your programming to make sure that you're getting nice and upright. So I do like front squats for that reason. I do like box squats for that reason. I also like heels elevated goblet squats. It really forces you into an upright position. I mean, I mean, when I'm writing programming for Allie, she does a lot of heels elevated goblet squats because she's way more hip dominant in her squat. So I help her get a little bit more vertical. And honestly, over the last, especially year, but definitely over the last two or three years, her squats have gotten so much better in terms of just a better back angle from squatting that it, it's incredible to see the difference. And she's a lot stronger because of it. So it's kind of one of those concurrent training things where she's getting better positioning and she can load up more weight. So we like back squat and front squat there. So moving into like the supplementary, the accessory, you're going to get some like box squats, overhead squats. Uh, split squats, lunges, wall balls, and then shrimp squats or pistol squats are great in terms of body weight movement. So with box squat, you get a lot more explosive. You can you know control that bottom point and you can come up fast out of the bottom. So this is a great way if you're either deloading or you know working back from injury or really working on on that depth. Kind of like I said, maybe you're really hip dominant and you need to hit your quads and glutes a little bit more, you hop onto that box and you're gonna really develop a good solid squat. But you also do need to spend time below parallel, so just keep that in mind with the box squat. Overhead squats, great way to improve Olympic lifting for CrossFitters if you're incorporating that. But it's also just like, the cool thing about overhead squats is, I wouldn't say they're functional in terms of like how many times you're gonna do an overhead squat pattern, like in your life, really not ever. I've rarely ever done it unless I'm like literally trying to make an Instagram video where I'm like, look at how, look at how I'm overhead squatting this Christmas tree. <laughs> so um, you could literally go to my Instagram feed and probably find that picture. But that, that said, it, it's functional in terms of flexibility and capability. So if you can sit at the bottom of your squat, your overhead squat, and that means hip crease below the knee with a nice, mostly vertical torso, arms locked out, and you're in proper rotation of your arms. Like, one, it's a, again, it's one of those, like, it's a fucking sexy movement. Like, that's what it is. But it also is a, a huge, uh, it, it's evidence of flexibility that you can, you can complete functional movements and do them without injury or without pain because you have that flexibility. Additionally, if you're one of those like, you know, kind of the anomaly and you're hyper flexible and you're or hyper mobile, then a solid overhead squat is going to be great for you to test as well, too, because if you're hyper mobile and that weight just kind of like shakes or falls back because you're so mobile, it's a good way to get strong and, and test your stability as well. So um, not to mention, if you do like a kettlebell or a dumbbell, like single arm overhead squat, shit is so hard. So again... <laughs> that's gonna be a little bit more of like a stability challenge. And that that is what we're looking for out of these, what I'll call secondary movements. 
So again, then you have wall balls, which are a little bit more of that like cardio type movement. Of course, you have cleans and snatches where you're you're doing more of the the knee pattern. But I'm not going to include those so much in this specific type of training because honestly, they're not like that hip extension is necessary and functional. But you can get that from kettlebells, right? You can get that from deadlifts and you can get that from squats. That said, snatch is probably one of my favorite movements that I wouldn't want to go without. Uh, it's just a matter of hey, how can you be the most effective with your time, with your skills, and become the best lifestyle athlete? So closing, closing the knee category with lunges, shrimp squats, and pistols. If you're not familiar with the shrimp squat, you might have also heard it. I don't know why this is, but like between the CrossFit community and like the non-CrossFit training community, there's always these like weird name differentiators. So like before I knew what this is called, I called it, a like shit i don't even remember it was like a floating reverse lunge and basically you're just letting your back knee touch the ground and that front leg is lunging okay and it does make sense right it works but like this is called a shrimp squat and that's what it's been known as many times before so this is a great way to challenge your stability single leg strength there's it's one of those Again, I'll call it a sexy movement. It's kind of an ego boost if you can do it, but it it really is a statement of physical capability. So I love shrimps. Pistol squats, they're awesome and a lot of the same things. The thing I don't like about pistol squats is especially doing them unweighted, you, you can just get away with such shitty form. You have that back super rounded and that's part of the pistol squat or the single leg squat, but it just doesn't feel right to me a lot of times. So I do like the the shrimp squat for this reason or uh, a box step up or even like a a single leg squat on a box because you can just hold that upright position. Now, if you're really good, you're really talented, you can hold weight out in front of you and kind of have that more upright body. And there, I think it's more warranted to do a single leg squat. So final movement pattern, we have core. And this is like... (laughs) the mysterious like mystical core is like engage your core like you can just hear your first trainers like I think of like all the freaking high school coaches like the high school wrestling or gymnastic coaches and they're just like use your core or like the rookie trainer and it, it kind of sucks because like as a very like as a really experienced trainer and like online coach you do have to use this term a lot, but it's just so inclusive that it can be hard to, uh, you know, really articulate on, or it can be hard to understand from the athlete perspective if someone just says, use your core. So you have to get more specific. And of course, like if you're a coach, if you're a trainer, you should challenge yourself to be more specific and then also include why. In CrossFit, one of the foundations of uh, movement is, is core to extremity. I can't remember the exact way they describe it, but it's like it's core to extremity. And what that means is especially why CrossFit, like this is the perfect example of why CrossFit uses the strict press instead of the bench press in terms of functionality. It's because on the bench press, like you can get away with using nothing below your ribs. Now that's a horrible bench press, but you can get away with it. With a strict press, you can tell. If someone's doing it right, they're going to have minimal uh, spinal extension and really just like a little rotation in the upper thoracic uh, spine, but it's going to be more of a really, really 
sturdy lower back and you don't see that big arch. At most you see that chin come back and sort of that proud chest as the, as the bar comes up. But that's core to extremity. That movement starts right around your belly button. If that, like, if you're looking at someone doing a strict press and, like, you're imagining them, like, I'm thinking of, like, predator. This is way too, this is way too deep and you do not need to do this. But my vision is, like, you have, like, a heat cam on them and you're, like, or a thermal cam on them. That belly should be nice and hot because that's where that activation starts. That's core to extremity. So, Again, you see that belly heat up and then you're tightening up on the bar and pressing up. Really, man, I could go deep. I really do love the strict press now that I'm talking about it. Uh, that was like a metaphysical experience of how important the strict press is just talking about it. But using that type of imagery helps. It, it goes to like the overhead squat, core to extremity. That's why it's functional. It's not that you're gonna be overhead squatting your freaking garbage like as you're taking your garbage bags to the garbage like the dumpster it's not like you're going to be overhead squatting anybody's like tailgate on the car or anything like that it's because you're using your core to extremity and you're coordinating the flexibility and mobility of your body for balance through the entire range of motion of a movement that is that is core through functional training through crossfit so with that said, I'm gonna. I love categorizing these, but I'm gonna keep it into three basic categories for core, for simplicity's sake. And again, I think this one might be a whole another podcast episode. Maybe I'll have to do one on like each of these movement patterns. But for core, we have rotation and anti-rotation, which I'm grouping into one, and then you have flexion, and then kind of like asterisk slash extension, and then holds. Or static core so let's talk about rotation and anti-rotation first this isn't going to be something that like when we get into core the heaviest that you want to go is going to be like holds and anti-rotation but always positioning is is number one with core like i always want you to do it with a good positioning because usually bad positioning means really poor posture so like shitty spinal positioning that's only going to wreck you in your real life so um, that means outside of the gym, which of course, if you're doing CrossFit, your goal is to pretty much be a badass inside and out of the gym. If you disagree, email me, DM me, and tell me why you shouldn't want to be a badass inside and outside of the gym as a CrossFitter. So with core, the rotation and anti-rotation, rotation, you're definitely going to want to go lighter or explosive, but Either way, you want to incorporate these in there. What I like here is Russian twists. I love med ball side tosses. You can ask any of my clients. If they have a med ball, if they have a wall to throw against, they're throwing that sucker against the wall because it's just such a great explosive movement. You can do it for reps or volume. You can do it for speed. You can do it for power. There's a lot of uh, use in that rotation. And it gets you on your feet. So one of the big things with core is that like, the core work or abs is like you're going to be seated or fixed on the ground for a lot of these when you're doing like a throw or a toss or a landmine twist i love those because you're standing up and you're twisting and moving your body but you have to be under control with that power so that you're actually developing the muscles around the spine and then flexion 
and a little bit of extension, but, but a lot of the extension is gonna come from the hip hinge movements like reverse hypers and back extensions and good mornings. Those are all really, really great core exercises, like everything under the hip hinge. So I'm gonna talk mostly about flexion here. So for this, we're talking about sit-ups, anchored sit-ups, GHD sit-ups. Okay, if you wanna get a little bit more dynamic, athletic, sexy movements, toast-to-bar. But honestly, there's just so, like, it, th that's just a sexy movement is what it is. Like, there's less, like, practicality in the toast-to-bar in comparison to maybe, like, a GHD sit-up or even a V-up or just a sit-up from the ground. But those are a lot of the common ways that you can utilize flexion in your core training. I also say there's some validity too in like doing some less CrossFit familiar movements. Even though you see them in CrossFit gyms a lot, but it's like hanging knees to elbows with like a tempo or even reverse crunches with a tempo or snail sit-ups. Those are not common things you see because we just see so much dynamic core exercises that we forget that that like getting that one vertebrae at a time type of core can be super, super helpful in, in your neuromuscular adaptation. So you actually can get up on some rings or some, uh, or some bars and do some hanging core. Then the last thing is holds. So this is gonna be mostly your planks, even handstand holds, side planks. And I should look into it more, but there's just this like crazy support for side planks and how incredible they are. And I, and I do agree, they're great. They're like, they're the one plank that I do on a weekly basis. And part of that is that it's, it, it's this coordination of like that whole side body. The important thing here is that you're doing them right. They're just done wrong so many times that it's really hard. So I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you cueing on exactly how you wanna set up your side plank. So first off, you wanna get your shoulders and elbows in line as much as possible. So let's say you're doing a right side plank. So your shoulders are square, your right elbow is directly underneath your shoulder and your head is in a neutral position. Moving down your body, and I always say this, I always cue this when I'm writing out programming for my athletes or if I'm coaching it in a class and that's to do a head to toe check the entire time. Because over 30, 40, 60 seconds of a side plank mostly just get like bored or like, holy shit, this is hard and you stop thinking about stuff. And that's when really shitty positioning happens. So head to, head to toe checks. Once you've got those shoulders and elbows in line, you're looking right down your body and making sure that you're next, your shoulders, hips, knees, and ankles are all in line. Now that's gonna keep you on like in, in the correct line to make sure that your body's in like a solid neutral position. So a lot of times we'll see that the hips sit back or maybe they're even rotated open or closed because you have some, some deficiencies somewhere along that chain. So this is kind of why the side plank is such a powerful movement is because there's so much involved. Then uh, I'll kind of close it up. There's probably more cueing that I would add in person, but it's just making sure you're using your bottom leg. You want to keep that bottom leg rigid and make sure that your hips are up off the ground. But if you hear a coach say, get your hips up, they just mean to get them in line. So your spine and uh, legs should all be straight and in line throughout that side plank movement. So that, it, is, it is a great movement. You can definitely make some really, really fun tweaks to core to um, you know, keep it from getting boring. I will say too, as far as anti-rotation, because that's one of the ones you can load up pretty good, 
you can do this in dynamic or more of like a, a static effort, but I really like single arm farmers carries. And you can read a little bit more on that too from Active Life RX. That's sort of where that's been inspired for me, but like just think about what is more functional than carry some heavy shit on one arm. You really can't like that's like the deadlift put into action. You pick it up off the ground and you carry it. Like there's nothing functional. Like screaming child. Uh, maybe you have a dog whose paws get hurt on the on the hike. <laughs> that one was a personal reference that literally happened this weekend. Um, but it's just like the most functional thing you could think of, just carrying something at your side. So that's why we like those anti-rotation that that type of uh, carry. Okay, so carries fit under core as well. Oh man, that's like something that, that kind of fits under the anti-rotation, but that's definitely something that I would inco incorporate in there. It's like that grip, core, postural strength. So that's why we want to make sure that that's in there. It is, again, falls under like the most functional type of movement. So we have our categories. That was a lot. I hope you took notes because there's just so much that goes into it. But if we can walk away with this is we understand that there's five types of five movement patterns we want to be doing throughout the week one one heavy session or one heavy um you know set one session of that movement pattern and then one supplementary to that so that's like a minimum that we want to get so if you're creating a program or you're doing a program make sure that it has it in there those are push pull hip knee core for me personally i like going heavy so for for push is going to be bench press or strict press for pull it's going to be a chest supported row or bent over row or pull-ups hip is deadlifts rdls and thrusts knee is back squat front squat and core is going to be carries twists sit-ups and planks and then anything else that you can do to move your body weight is something that i think is truly functional and also just super empowering for you to do so this kind of leads me into a question that I think is important to apply is why, why do Metcons and interval training work so well? Because CrossFit is founded on training for real life. It's training for the unknown and unknowable, and it's really to, it's the sport of everything. Okay. And if you're doing functional fitness, then you might remove some of the, the goofy shit you see CrossFitters do like handstand walking or handstand pushups or those toes to bar or kipping or anything like that. But those things are all manipulations of your body through space. They're skills that you can teach your body, and there's value and function in that. So that's why we like Metcons and interval training, because now we add, we apply heart rate. And it's just, it's fucking crazy what you can actually accomplish by applying heart rate to skilled movements like that. Now, you do have to have the skill before you apply the heart rate. OPEX. James Fitzgerald, that whole crew, they do a really good job of explaining that. The way that I just, like, I keep it really, really simple for, for you, for my clients and whoever, is first you have to have this, the skill or the strength, then you can apply the heart rate, then you can apply variations. And that's how you can develop your training, if you think of it just like that. So you want to get your first pull-up? Cool. Get your first pull-up. Get the strength. Then add heart rate. Can you, can you do pull-ups and push-ups together in a workout? Can you do pull-ups, push-ups, and run in a workout? Okay. Which leads me back to, I forgot to include running in the knee in terms of moving your body weight, but it is something that you can do. Um, running is super, super functional. 
He uses every muscle. I just had to add that side note because I kind of forgot to mention it. This is why it's so hard to program CrossFit specifically because there's just so much shit that goes into it. But you should be running as much. Like, if you can run, you need to be running every single week. It's just something that's an important skill in terms of if you want to achieve functional fitness. So, why Metcons and interval training work so well? Training for real life. They're unknown and the unknowable. The big thing here is you don't want to make the mistake of ass kick fitness being functional. And I get this because a lot of people will come to the CrossFit space and be like, man, I love getting my ass kicked. And then they show up for years and years expecting to get their ass kicked. And then they get mad when they don't see results anymore. The whole point of training for the unknown and unknowable isn't to get your ass kicked. It's to get yourself to like threshold where you're like, fighting that feeling of getting your ass kicked and not doing it and then every once in a while literally like one to three times a month depending on how much you train but think about like 10 percent of your training is truly kicking your ass competing and trying to beat yourself someone else or just to compete in general 10 percent of your training should be ass kick fitness the rest of it needs to be focused on quality training neurological skill doing things at a higher heart rate with good quality so in like closing like wrapping this all up into like more of the complete like functional lifestyle it's just what nutrition should look like and a couple of guidelines you can use in terms of nutrition are that you definitely need to spend more time out of a deficit than in one i would tell that to anyone but if you are a crossfitter in general uh, or, or specifically i mean you need to spend more time out of a deficit than in one. This means eating quality foods, getting enough food for your training to be effective, and really only using a calorie deficit one to two times a year over 12 to 16 weeks, which is my second guideline. So for functional sake, (laughs) for functional sake, you're probably only dieting 12 to 16 weeks of the year, which means one to two cuts. More if you have more weight to lose. For for example, maybe you're new to your CrossFit journey and you have 100 pounds to lose. Cool. I'm not going to tell you to only diet 12 weeks of the year. You need to get yourself down to a lower body weight so you can accomplish more of the functional side of fitness. But you've got to get that that functional side of lifestyle and nutrition down. So you'll need to be in a calorie deficit. You should have designated periods outside of the deficit, and it should be more than in the deficit. And then lastly. Depending on your conditioning focus or goal, like since most of you are going to be athlete focused, filling out the arms of your sleeves, jacked out at the barbecue, or the ladies want to rock your yoga pants confidently or wear shorts and tanks, everyone getting ready for beach season is you're going to want to make sure that you're eating carbs, okay? The carbs are really going to fuel that, that heavy side of athleticism in terms of what what type of movements you're doing so you're going to get a lot of explosive movement glycolytic uh, training and you need carbs for that so whereas a lot of general population that's just strength training and maybe a little bit of cardio you can get away with a lot more flexibility of carbs and fats but in general i'm gonna say that a crossfit functional athlete needs to get their carbs especially if you're incorporating things like high level strength training sprints and sled work Okay, Metcons and interval training, you need to get enough carbs. So that's something that you do want to make sure is in line with your training. And the last thing that I'll say, just in terms of all, all things, nutrition 
and training and lifestyles that keeping these things in sort of phases helps you from burning out on it. What I mean by that is like for me as a more competitive athlete, I was spending time like a season of Olympic lifting, a season of gymnastics, a season of endurance and kind of in between you could either have four seasons and have that fourth one be rest or you could have those three seasons with like a small rest period in between. A couple different ways you can do it. Again, if you're working with me, you're gonna get it in entirely individualized. But that's just been my per like my personal experience. And with athletes, I'm gonna I'm going to judge it based off of their lifestyle, like your lifestyle, your profession, your family life, those sorts of things. So that said, that's a wrap on all things functional training and nutrition. Literally, you should be able to take everything you learned from this episode and just have a better understanding of the effectiveness of your program, what it means for you to step inside the gym and do the programming on the whiteboard or to look at your app on your phone and crush it in your garage so that you can show up at the family events, the social events, the class reunions, the beach, and just look like the badass that you trained to be. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Take us in your story so we know you're listening. That's at Joe Mike Paul and at Lost in Lifting for Chaz or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram using the handle I just said. And thanks again. I'll see you next time.